Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is General Manager and Head Winemaker at Chimney Rock Estate, Elizabeth Viana. Vienna, Vienna. Okay, yeah, Vienna, tomato, tomato, Vienna, Vienna. Um, Elizabeth's career in winemaking began with a glass of 1985 Socian Malo. Elizabeth was originally on the pre-medical school track. She fell in love with wine as a consumer while living in New York City and working as a clinical toxologist, wow, the irony of toxology and you make wine now, at New York Hospital Weill Cornell Medical Center. Uh, she pivoted and applied to the University of California Davis and its renowned winemaking program instead of medical school. And since taking the position of assistant winemaker at Chimney Rock in January of 2002, Elizabeth has consistently produced wines that have been highly rated among critics and highly valued amongst consumers. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, MJ. I can't believe I'm actually here. <laughs> well, I'm so excited you're here. It's, for me, it's funny to uh, be doing this podcast and then... Um, get have fans who are like like you like winemakers like 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 you know i've had winemakers just say hey man I, I, can i bring your pocket and that's that's like the best um and uh you know um we have so much to talk about um really excited uh to, to finally get to meet you um and um yeah let, uh, you know let's get into it uh let's start at the beginning Sounds good. Uh, you know, you know how I got into your podcast, right? No, no. So it was my buddy Matt Dees. Oh, Matty Dees. Matty Dees is one of like yeah. my soulmates in the on the planet, and I watched him, and I was like, oh, I got FOMO. I got to go meet MJ. <laughs> like he's cool. And then I saw Tanya Holland, and that was it. Like that, pretty much. Yeah, you know, it was like I got to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Maddie. I got to get Maddie on that. Maddie, I had back. We were full on pandemic, which I don't even know what has happened with that situation as we we're finding out. But anyway, um, and we were just doing the IG lives. I was doing winemaker Wednesdays. And so, um, you know, one of the things that's happened is um, I did some of my first on the road stuff. So I got my own camera. So, like, you know, I would love to at some point come out and visit you at Chimney Rock. Oh, and, you have to. You know, and maybe I'll bring Tanya. Yes. You know what? Tanya and I, we, we, we were talking do about doing event. a show. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. We want, listen, matter of fact, let's do an event. Uh, we'll talk about that afterward. But yes, I, <laughs> I, I think I pinged you about a music event. Tanya, you can come and do the food. Like, bring it. So, I'm in. Yeah, all right, cool. So, perfect. Okay, so Danny, there you go. Danny's my guy, work at music. So, <laughs> we're working that out. So, and I have her phone number now. So, I don't have to go through any PR people. <laughs> no more PR fiascos. <laughs> so, here we are. But, um, where'd you grow up? So I was actually born in Brazil. Wow. Yeah. Dad's Brazilian. My mom's from El Salvador. Okay. And I grew up between Brazil, El Salvador, and the U.S. Um, so zero to three Brazil, three to nine U.S., somewhere in there a year in El Salvador, 
back to Brazil, 9 to 16, and then back to the U.S., and I've been here since then. Well, that's pretty amazing. Um, so, um, you know, I think most people understand the history of Brazil, which I would love to understand more. But when I hear El Salvador, what is it like? Because you, obviously you have family there. They, there, was, there was civil war stuff on them. So what's oh. like... Yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking for me because when I lived there, it was sort of this idyllic life, right? Kind of a pure country, just, I just have beautiful memories. My mom's dad was a, a corn farmer. Okay. Uh, so a little farming in the background yep. there. And, um, you know, we, we were out in the countryside and it was just nights under the stars and home cooking with grandma and amazing memories. But... I do remember going back in like maybe the late 70s just to visit and starting to see that there were curfews, right? You mm -hmm. could be in the house by 10, and then it really took over. Now, fortunately, my family is pretty remote in the country, okay. so they were fairly unscathed mm -hmm. personally by mm -hmm. it, but, you know, um, I mean, you know the nightmare that was that whole decade yeah yeah um was the sandinistas and yeah I, I, like that's like from my I was childhood. a kid yeah I, was right, a kid. I, I just remember i just remember like talk of sandinistas and and then i was watching um i was watching the show on uh it's on fx but i was watching on hulu called uh snowfall oh. and it was about it was actually john singleton's last project and it was about how the crack epidemic in la and the CIA connection, and um, part of it was like they were funding the right. Civil War right. in El Salvador, right. and so it kind of brought back. And then you know what you do is you're older, go you get on Wikipedia, you do some research, like you're like yeah. wow, it's really like how gnarly the world. Well, we have Ukraine still is, but like yeah. you know, um, yeah. but where is that country at? Because I know it's in Central America, and a lot of people we know Panama, and people know Costa Rica. Yeah. So they currently have a new president, okay. which apparently the Republic has great faith in. I don't follow El Salvadorian politics that closely I these don't really days. follow American politics, yeah. so I try not I to. I know, I try not to follow politics anymore <laughs> exactly. either. Yeah, yeah, I try to stay pure yeah. <laughs> these days. <laughs> Keep my heart pure. Absolutely. But, um, but at least things are at peace right yeah. now. Things are quiet. Um, my mom just went to El Salvador. Uh, we sent her out to see relatives, and she had a great time. So things are safe enough to send a 79-year-old lady yeah. um, on a trip. So I guess that's good. That is a good thing. <laughs> and and Brazil, what was what's what was it like to spend grow up in Brazil? Oh, I loved it. I was born in São Paulo, which is not my favorite city. Okay, Very polluted metropolis. That's uh, what the. Uh, the Christ statue, right? That's, uh, that's, that's in Rio. That's in Rio. Yeah, okay. So I grew up in Rio mostly. So okay. a little town in the mountains, very utopic, you know, like no crime, just everybody was your best friend. So I was there from nine till about 16. So great time in my life. Um, I started playing music at the time. So oh. started playing piano. I was, an, was a choir girl. Um, just, you know, love the culture there, love the music, soccer, obviously very central to Brazilian culture, um, and just great people, you mm. know, people who know how to have a good time, so. That's amazing. Um, and um, how many languages do you speak then? So Portuguese and Spanish were, you know, primary English, and then my dad was sort of obsessed with language, so he gave me a, a French version of the Little Prince when I was a little girl. 
and I became obsessed and kind of became a Francophile too. So my French is passable. It's, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't boast or anything, but I can get by. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Um, we need to back up. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, tell everybody about the wines you brought today. I'm very excited to share the two wines that we brought today. So Elevage Blanc is our proprietary white blend. So Tony Trelato was kind of the patriarch of the Trelato family who owns Chimney Rock. Loves a little famous wine called Aubryon Blanc, right? Yeah. $500 bottle of beauty. And yeah. he came to us in 2002 and said, could we make something that was this style, kind of an homage to that mm -hmm. wine? And um, we got to work, uh, decided to do it with a Napa twist. So rather than pl planting Semillon, we planted Sauvignon Gris to blend with Sauvignon Blanc. Um, Sauvignon Gris, kind of long lost cousin, right, of mm -hmm. Sauvignon Blanc, has like a richness and a viscosity and actually retains acidity a little bit better in the heat of Napa. So we planted 1.6 acres at that point. At this point, we have five acres of Gris because we love it so much. Um, and this is a sort of barrel fermented, blended Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Gris. I use about six different yeasts, some native fermentation, everything to create a white wine that's complex, age-worthy, that's got some depth, like a thinking white wine, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. It is, oh my God, it's delicious. <clears throat> um, and I love white Bordeaux. I didn't realize I liked white Bordeaux. <clears throat> um, I, uh, I think, uh, I mean, Sauvignon Blanc's amazing. Yeah. But it's there was a proliferation of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc on the market for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, you forget how how wonderfully Sauvignon takes to, to wood. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's an undervalued category in my view. Yeah. Um, it, it really has a lot of depth and weight, and you can set age these for 15 years. Yeah, so I say like that. Which is cool. That, which is really cool. And I, and, 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 uh, jumping ahead we're gonna jump all around but like as someone who's in the stag leap dish or what's that i've noticed like um a lot of the higher end wineries do some type of uh sauvignon uh blend yeah you know yep. yeah like i had what's his name oh, chris tynan at yeah. cliff lady cliff lady and uh, marcus notaro also he's doing i think a white blend and over right? at rudd uh they have some howell Lady. mountain sauvignon like i was like when he got i was like i was like dude yeah. Like, fiscally, and I love when people are committed to to stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, because it, it would rip it up, make Cabernet, and sell yeah. the grapes. You could even yeah. do I mean, but like, nope. Yeah. And our, our white vineyard's actually not in Stag's Leap. It's okay. up in Rutherford. Okay. Better soils for Sauv Blanc, mm -hmm. like clay soils. Um, really great acidity out of that vineyard. So we do respect the Bordeaux variety thing in Stag's, but um, but the, the Rutherford AVA is awesome for for Sauv Blanc and Sauv Gris as yeah. well. So um, you spent time in El Salvador, you spent time in Brazil, and then when did you come to the United States? So I was here from three to eight. So okay. I went, kind of moved around at that point. Dad was a chemical engineer. His job kind of took Petroleum? him around. Uh, yeah, he actually started in the sugar cane industry. So that makes important sense. exporting. Um, for a little while, he was doing um, filtration materials for the wine industry. Go figure. Weird, right? And then he ended up in petrochemicals. Um, yeah. 
fossil fuels. <laughs> what can I say? You no, I, I mean, yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's no judgment. Yeah. It's like, yeah. listen, it gave you a good life, I'm uh, sure. It did, <laughs> right. it did. And hey, I'm fighting to be green now. Exactly. So it's all good. We're yeah. balancing it out. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as the world was different then. Yeah, um, yeah. So we lived in, um, in California. We lived in Skokie, Illinois for a little bit. Skokie, Illinois. Skokie, you, Illinois. Okay, so you know, you listen to it, so everything prompts some type of pop culture <laughs> So you say Skokie, Illinois, I think of the Blues Brothers oh, yeah. <laughs> and the scene where the uh, the Nazi party <laughs> scene, they were like headquartered in Skokie, Illinois. Yep, which is such a random place, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, <laughs> Oh, yeah. my God. And then um, we ended our, our journey, that journey, in Arlington, Massachusetts. So okay. very... Um, very all-American yeah. kind of neighborhood. Dad was working for Raytheon at the time, um, which was in Cambridge, and we lived in this little, you know, neighborhood, and uh, that was an experience. It was very, very American, you know. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. a very diverse community. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, Cambridge isn't 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 um, Harvard and Cambridge? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harvard, okay. MIT. So, exactly. so, 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 yeah. So, so, you know, and we're talking seventies, and yeah, I mean, it's. It was very homogenized. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it was a different world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, like there, I lived. There's, there's always charm in those New England towns. Of like the buildings are old, <gasps> you know, just. Um, uh, and I think you know people, you, you don't have to apologize for how you grew up. I think a lot of us people yeah. now people want to like that's how you grew up, you know. Yeah. And yeah. those experience, I think experience f informs everything we do. Yeah, you know, and so. everything we've become, right? Yeah, yeah. Like. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I resented moving around as a kid, you know, I really did. I was like, why can't we just stay in one place? But now I look backwards and I'm like, you know what? I can swim in any pond. You throw me in, yep. I'm good, yep. I'm good. And it taught me how to adapt and, you know, I'm not really afraid of anything. <laughs> you just, it, it was good for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you have siblings? I do, I have quite a complex family. Dad was married before he met my mom. Okay. They were together for 58 years. He passed a couple of years wow, ago. Wow, 58 years. So I have three half-sisters from his first marriage, who I'm pretty close to. And then my mom and dad adopted my older sister. And then they had four of their own. So good Latin family. You have a big and complex <laughs> family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's you said it, but it, it wouldn't be a Latin family without some side kids, right? <laughs> oh, you know it. They always take folks in. It's, it's like there was always yeah. somebody living there who like, you know, my parents were that family, you know. I love that. I, I, and that is a Latin American thing. I have a friends, friends. They're my family. I call them friends, but like they're Costa Rican, and like everybody, everybody calls their mom and dad, mom and dad. And everybody was always having dinner over the house. And if you got in a fight with your parents, you you could spend like just cra like, I and what and that is something special about I know about Latin culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take care of community. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, there's a real sense of that. Yeah, um, God, that's a lot. Wow, um, and so, um. Growing up, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, football, uh, music. You did music, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what was like, where'd you go to high school? So that's like, I feel that's, like, yeah. that's really the, oh, the formative school. years, right? Yeah, my ugly period, MJ. Like, well, everybody's. Yeah, and, and, I went, and I went to three different high schools. Oof. So yeah. brutal, didn't belong, was just an outsider, you know, and... Um, it was fine. It, it was what it was. I was a geek, though. I was a you know book nerd and a musician. Mm -hmm. So I always found my little 
some little sub-click that I fit in. And my last high school, which I graduated from, which was Ramapo High School in Rockland County. Wow. That was my final school. Um, I found a great click of folks who did musical theater and, you know, sang, played, and that, that was my little click. But I never quite fit in, though, still, you know. It wasn't really till college. College was, like, the reckoning of, like, oh, this is what it feels like to fit in, you know, because I went I went to Vassar College up in Poughkeepsie, mm-hmm. and um, it was cool. You know, everybody was from somewhere else. They had lived in multiple places. There were more people like me, um, and I finally was like, okay, this is cool. They're all book nerds like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, I fit in, and uh, college, college was my, my teenage what I, my teenage years should have been. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think for a lot of us, like you said, college is kind of where you find your tribe. One of my uh, favorite movies is Boyhood by uh, Richard Linkletter. Yep. And, 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 and it's called Boyhood, but it's called Womanhood or Parenthood, like, because, you know, the mother's pretty much running through relationships. And, but, and the story's about the kids are growing up with their parents. Like, you realize, like, it really shows, like, yeah. Even if your parents have it together with their career moving around, they're still growing up because yeah. there's no manual for being parents, totally, right? Totally, totally. Right? So, but there's a scene in there where uh, his art teacher says, "You know, you, you know, you're going to do well in college. You're going to find your people. That's where I found my people." And I think that's when you are creative, or artistic, or you know, um, or just you know, it's hard to fit in because you're smart. Like you, you go to college, and you're like, "Oh, there's other people who are smart too and read books." Just like you said, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not." There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm, I, not exactly. I'm not smoking cigarettes. I'm not a cheerleader. Okay. I'm not smoking cigarettes and <laughs> listening to Pink Floyd, right? You know. Totally. Totally. Um, so I love that. So and Vassar. Um, that's where Bourdain went for like a year or at least a semester oh, or something. Yeah, it's funny. Quite a few people went there for like a year. Yeah. Like Jane Fonda was there for like a year. <laughs> yeah. And I think Jackie Kennedy was there for a year. I don't think she graduated. Maybe. Maybe she didn't. Yeah. I don't know. And Bourdain, the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah cool. Cool school. You yeah. know, just outside of Manhattan. So it, I think, draws a lot of New York folk. Yep. But also international as well. Yeah. So, um, Loved it. Just small classes, amazing professors. It was a, it was a game changer. And so, um, you were. What was your major? What were you What were you doing there? So I did a biology major because I was pre med at this point in my life. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, wanted to be a pediatric oncologist specifically. I had a wow. kind of a, a mentor, a uh, family friend who had done that, and I was like, I want to be just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also studied music, so I was taking piano. I did a senior recital and did a lot of French, too, a lot of, like really kind of beefed up my like French literature stuff. Mm-hmm. So did a lot there. Um, and it wasn't until you know moving to New York City that things started to shift for me. Um, and I ended up doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, your your family um, moved around a lot. So there was, like you said, you had a lot of what I would I'm going to use were cosmopolitan experiences. Was was wine uh, part of your family life? Like, was were you, did your parents make nice meals and have wine on the dinner table? Yeah. Um, so my dad traveled the world yeah. with his career. Right. So it was a very sophisticated, um, loved fine food, loved wine. Wasn't a connoisseur necessarily, but he really appreciated fine wine. 
And, you know, to this day, he tells me this, well, he's actually gone now, but in my mind, he's still here. Um, he bought two bottles of wine at a restaurant uh, closeout sale in Brazil mm -hmm. that were like the game changer bottles in his life. And they were 1945 Mouton. So he said that was the <laughs> bottle that like changed his universe in terms yeah. of wine. And he was like, I'm certain that because I had that bottle, you became a winemaker. Yeah, I probably. <laughs> That's insane. He probably paid like something ridiculous. Like 50 bucks. I was like, yeah, 100 yeah. bucks maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but I, I love what you said. And I think it's real important as people want to talk about making wine more inclusive. Like you don't have to be a connoisseur. Just, just, I just, to enjoy just I just enjoy this shit. I think it's delicious. And I, you know, and I can tell the difference between a really outstanding bottle of wine. And, and it, you know, most of the time we're going to drink good bottles of wine, right? Well, unless you're a winemaker, but you know, no, but, you but, but most people like, but like that, you don't have to study this as much as you just enjoy it. I agree, MJ, and it's like my life's mission as a wine educator to tell consumers, like, nobody needs to tell you what you like to drink. You figure that out, right? Like, it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong when it comes to wine, and I think wine should be democratized more. Yeah. It should be a part of the American table more. That's um, just Americans. I mean, we're just. I mean, we're so stupid, though. I mean, I think. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, we had that prohibition. I mean, I think. I think a little puritanical. There, there's some stuff. Well, there's puritanical, but I mean, I was reading about that. Like, like no dudes were just getting. People were just passing out in the street. Uh, people were just drinking like ethyl alcohol. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. weren't so. I mean, I, I just think. When you have when you, you were started by Puritans, right, and then it was give us your poor your time. It was a bunch of misfits. So it wasn't like. The people who were drinking yeah. wine, and the ones who yeah. did, went to California, and you know those did, right. did it right, right? <laughs> anyway, but yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, I think that it, it's 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 just a matter of um, shifting palates. You know, I mean, that's all. And yeah. also, like the role of alcohol. It's funny. Like I think when things are taboo, it's never a good thing, right? Like, and I remember coming to high school here, and like you know, kids would get some beer and they'd go drink in a parking lot mm -hmm. and in Brazil the drinking age was lower and you were used to having some wine at the table with your parents right. so that seemed like so weird to me you know that um, that didn't seem like fun right so it's, it's a cultural mm -hmm. thing right? totally totally a cultural thing um, it's freaking amazing so you were pre-med and and what did you say? Uh, pediatric oncology, in fact. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, gnarly. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, save the world. Yeah. Save the children. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, it's admirable. And so, um, let's talk about um, you in New York City, and you said because your dad, you know, you had appreciate you were had development appreciation for food and wine. Um, where where was this pre-auction tasting, and what year was this that you were at a pre-auction tasting? Yeah, so that wasn't till I moved to New York City in 1990. I didn't go to that tasting until 96, I okay. want to say. Okay. But in that period, um, I had a really good buddy from Vassar whose dad had collected fine wine in the 70s. So he had bought Bordeaux when it was still affordable. When, when Petrus was, you get a case of Petrus for like under... 200 bucks exactly exactly yeah. so we got to try some of these bottles and it was sort of a life-changing period um, I hadn't really thought about what 
plant behind a bottle of wine. Um, and like all of it, right? The anthropology of it, the, um, the, the music and wine to me, like the layers, the complexity, like. That's my shit, you know, music and wine, right? That's, yeah. I think that's my love affair with wine is like, I relate it to music. I, I do too. Yeah. I, I very much like think about, you know, when I'm defining a wine's personality, I think about music a lot. It's a good reference for me. I love that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, went to that Christie's tasting and um, Christian Wex spoke. So he talked about who, who uh, Chateau Petrus. That's right, and Dominus and, <laughs> and Napa, Dominus and yeah, 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 yeah. And he talked about inheriting Chateau Petrus when he was twenty-four, as you do, and not knowing what to do. And he went to Davis to get his master's at that point. Yeah. So that was my like light bulb. Like, this is like, good enough for him. <laughs> there's a program at Davis where I can learn to make wine, and I literally like applied to Davis never having been to a winery except for two little wineries I had stopped in New Mexico. So like had no idea what production was, really just loved it as a consumer and uh, just took a risk, you know? And so it was a 85 Socion Mayo. Like what happened when you had that wine? Like, like You know, it wasn't so much that the, the bottle, it was a great bottle. Yeah. 85 was a great year for Bordeaux. Um, I was just holding that glass when Christian Wex spoke. God, oh, so wow, okay. That's, that's why it's my life-changing bottle. Yeah. Um, it was great wine. Uh, and it's funny, I even got, I got a letter. I talk about this a lot as, as I've built my career. And I got a letter from Socian de Molay offering to host me anytime, which was so cool. Girl, you better take him up on that. I know. I will. I will. <laughs> I plan on it. <laughs> um, that's an incredible story. Um, and so you had you, were you accepted in medical school or, I mean, had you even started no, applying? Okay. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, I, I am probably a little too much of a bon vivant to get through med school yeah. is my, is my guess. Yeah. So it, it was all in the cards all yeah. along. I just didn't see it. Yep. Um, but, you know, my seven years in New York was like, talk about the city to find yourself in, you know. You were in a good time. It was still, it was still gritty. You got Dinkins was mayor first. You, you, were, you yeah. got it right at the, uh, the, the early Rudy, but it was still gritty. It was still, it was a good time. Yeah. It was a good time here. So it was all about like theater, mm -hmm. music. Um, going out to eat with friends and just enjoy Village Voice, to go get the Village, Village Voice and say totally. who, who you're going to see, who's yes. playing at the Wetlands or who's playing yeah, at CBGBs. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah loved it. What was um, Sounds of Brazil? I yep. used to love that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think it's, yeah, I don't, it's gone. I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, my the God. The Blue Note. Yeah. Yeah. SOB, Sounds of Brazil. Yeah. Oh, I used yeah. to go there all the time. Jesus. Yeah. They used to have great shows. Like, yeah, like they would do like, they'd like have, hip-hop show on Monday night, and then have like a, a house DJ on like Tuesday nights. Yeah, SLBs was great. Yeah. Amazing. Wetlands, that was, it really was an amazing time in New York City. Yeah, loved it. And it had been a dream of mine to live here. Like I was determined, I don't know why, I don't know where that came from in my childhood that I knew I had to live in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, I think not having had a good teenagehood. Yeah. College was my teenagehood, and then, you know, I was like, oh, now I know who I am. Yeah, this yeah, you f same. You feel like you like you, you feel like, like oh, I could live in New York. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, what were you doing for work at the time? 
So an interesting little journey. My first year out of college, I did research in uh, developmental neurobiology. So uh, looking at uh, neuronal plasticity <laughs> and uh, sort of brain growth factors, really cool stuff. It's actually probably some of the secrets of where we'll find the solution to Alzheimer's and because the brain can redevelop. So very cool, very brainy work, right? I was just still lab assistant, I mean, nothing fancy, but, but it was cool, got exposed to some really smart people, and um, it was interesting. Kind of knew at that point research definitely wasn't the area I wanted to be in. And then that lab moved to a university over in um, New Jersey, and I wanted to stay in the city, mm -hmm. so I applied for, uh, it was a toxicology lab, you know, so they measured drugs of abuse and um, different kinds of drugs that have to be monitored, monitored in blood, and I got the job and ended up staying there and growing in that position to head the lab. Um, so, I mean, not the most stimulating work, you know, it's like repetitive, but it's kind of ironic because the machines that you use in this area are the same machines that you use to study aroma compounds in wine. Amazing. So HPLC, uh, mass, mass spectrometry, those are the two kind of things that you use. So that helped me get into Davis as well because I was kind of an expert in these machines. That's so funny. Yeah. And you know what? When you say, let's just have some fun. When you applied for a job, what did you do? You went on the internet and you filled out a thing, or did you? No, because I was already at Cornell Med School, okay. I basically just had to go to their their job office, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, we'll find placement. You obviously have lab skills." Right. Yeah. HR department. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Internal it, job postings. It wasn't too tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went and met the doctor who ran the lab, and he met me, and he was like, "Oh, I I could I could train a monkey to do this work," and I was like, "Great, train me." Yeah. Exactly. This is so doctorish. Thank, <laughs> like, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you have great belief in my intellectual exactly. capacity. <laughs> Hilarious. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so Davis, um, let's talk. So you apply to Davis, get in. Yeah. Um, did you know anything about Davis, California? No, I really What didn't. was it like moving from New York City to Davis, California? Oh, culture shock, yeah. You know, they have... 35,000 registered bikes, you know, it's a little utopic college town. Um, and I, you know, I'd really thrived in New York. I loved the energy of the city. Yeah. I was like, I was fast, right? Yep. Like it, I was at that. Um, and so you just have to reel yourself back and kind of go, okay, we're gonna do this now. Um, so it's a, it was a little culture shock, but it was also amazing because suddenly you're placed in a room with 10 other grad students who are as passionate about this beverage as you are. Yeah. It's like heaven, right? A bunch of wine geeks, and we get to learn together for a couple of years and taste together, and these are all the people who are gonna become my colleagues and my peers, and um, I loved it, I loved it. That was such a great time in my life, you know? Just just amazing. What's kind of like, um, like what are some of the classes you take uh, to get your master's in, what, when your master's is in, in, what's your master's in actually? Enology. It is enology. Yeah, okay. and viticulture. Okay, yeah, so, okay. Yeah. so um, it's gonna be uh, Wine Laboratory 101, right? So you learn all the So you'd worked in a lab, so yeah. you had that down, still, but. Yeah, okay. and then microbiology, right? So wine microbiology specific to yeast and malolactic bacteria, you know. Um, sensory classes, like how do we scientifically 
assess wines uh, in a in a in a scientific way, right? Which is boring, but but it, ha- it has to be done occasionally, right? Um, what else? You know, wines of the world, right? Um, and then the, all the viticulture classes, so learning rootstocks and learning amphilography, how to identify vines in different varieties, and um, all the processes. That of, shit sounds hard. Yeah, it is hard. It, Which is good, hard, but yeah. I think I, I and I, that's why. Thanks for sharing that because I think we. I want people who listen to understand like. So when you're saying microbiology and and, and I was like, I, I've been on one with natural wines lately because I don't. I, I've had I've had. Alice Fryman, she was awesome. She gave me the best definition. But by and by, when I see what most of more, I don't like, like you can't just throw some grapes in a vat somewhere and call it wine. To me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it it'll, it'll get you drunk. Right. Yes, yes, yeah, it yeah. is wine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we've advanced. I'm like, okay, so are you. Um, Picking your grapes by hand and then transporting them to your winery with a donkey and a bat. I mean, like, so, like, yeah. you're using other things. So, um, microbiology, why is that? I, so now, see, this one, because I, I, I want to go into this. Why is that important with wine? Like, you, it's, like it's grapes, right? They, they ferment. You sit them out, yeah. they ferment. You mentioned you use indigenous yeast, so that's cool. But, yeah, yeah, but, like. It's just learning, like, yeast metabolism and their processes and why wine yeast are good for wine fermentation specifically and uh, spoilage yeast, right? There's all these bad yeast out there that you have to think about and be concerned about, like Britannomyces, and there's some evil... Oh, Brett. Yeah, and then there's some evil bacteria, like lactic acid bacteria, which can basically turn your wine into vinegar overnight, you know? So... It's it's just all you do need to understand this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And can you make wine without understanding this? Of course, of course. It's not rocket science. Like Bert Williams, right? He yeah. just started making I mean, wine. I mean, you know how many home winemakers oh, yeah. are out there? And they make yeah, yeah. Garage yeah. the garage yeast. Yeah. Some a lot of people in California just started making wine. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of those I find then they go do go back because they like okay I don't want to you know like this was fucked up so yeah. how can I fix this next time or what what should I look for yeah you know? yeah it helps it helps to have the knowledge base and I think so what you decide is your path whether it's natural wines or whatever like it doesn't matter I tell people that too listen I'm, I might make fun of natural wines but if you enjoy them you enjoy them yeah please yeah you don't yeah. don't drink what I drink enjoy yeah. what you enjoy exactly. I just, don't enjoy that. Yeah. Personally. <laughs> yeah. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like art, right? Right. Think about modern art or classic art. Yep. We all have different aesthetics. It's for like music. What we enjoy. Exactly. Well, exactly. I kind of love all music. Yeah. <laughs> you don't? I kind of love all music. Oh, I love all yeah, music. You know, yeah. Like, I was thinking about that. Because pe- I think some people do pigeon. I listen to this. Only that. No, I, I can, no. like, especially if it's live, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's experience. Yeah. Which going to the wines, like you said, I have started saying, um, I don't say wines are balanced anymore. I typically say they're in harmony because my analogy is all music is noise, but not all noise is music. What makes it music is it's harmonized and it comes together in the right way and the notes right. all come together. Right. But th- music is just noise. Yeah, yeah. And music can also be dissonant, right? Yep. There can be tension. Mm-hmm. There can be... Uh, you know, I mean, it could be a big symphonic piece. Right. Or it could be a solo. Like, I mean, there's so many great metaphors for music yeah, and wine. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, 
Well, when you're at Davis, I assume you have to do internships? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I did. You don't have to, but I didn't have any harvest under my belt. Okay. Like I said, hadn't really stepped foot in a winery in a formal way. So I did my first internship in 98 at Trefethen. Oh, Trefethen. Oh, geez. Yeah. I love all that. Yeah. There's so they're many new brands. Family. Like yeah. their, their wines are still so freaking good. They are. And like, those are wines you can get for like 70 bucks, right? Yeah. Versus like these new ones coming out for 500 bucks. Yeah. Like literally. And some of the best. One of the few Rieslings in Napa Valley, yep. right? Them and Smith Madrone. The, yeah, they've kept the tradition, yep. which is cool. Um, great family. And then um, my second internship was Chimney Rock okay. in 99. So I had a really good friend who was the assistant winemaker there. And she was like, come work here. We'll have fun. And, uh, you know, off I went and fell in love with that property during that internship. It's just an amazing estate. You know, 105 acres of vineyards and they're right there and my job was to basically go sample the vineyards and this is when I started to really learn how to assess grape for maturity um, and start to think about those things which you know you don't really do in school um, aromatics off the chain right yeah so it's got that kind of nutty like mm -hmm. brioche right mm -hmm. But then some stone fruit. It's just there's a whole lot going on in there. Mm-hmm. That is delicious. Um, so assessing grapes. So I've had winemakers come on, and they're going by taste. How do you? What's your kind of like? Are you looking for the seeds to be? So I mean, I've heard stuff about seeds and. Yeah, definitely. <coughs> ripeness of seeds is really important for Bordeaux varieties because. Um, the juice is going to sit on those seeds and you can extract like bitter tannins from there. So that's an important component. Um, there's other stuff, I think, like the texture of the tannins and the skins. I think uh, the flavor, like are there still green flavors like Cabernet before it's ripe can be very, very bell pepper. Yep. Um, and a little bit of bell pepper is okay, but right. you really want to get to a, a... So for me, it's mostly texture of tannins. Um, and you can tell that by a grape. You can. I mean, yeah. And you chomp on those skins, yeah, enough times, and you'll see where the state of tannin development is. And then also, um, I like I really believe in fruit integrity and freshness. So if it's starting to get plummy or pruney or raisiny, like, okay, we're missing our window here. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you're not, you know, hopefully you catch up before you get there. Yeah. And so you did that. You're on that property. The property is in the Stag's Leap district. Mm -hmm. um, for uh, like, we have listeners across the whole spectrum. What is the significance of the Stag Leap district, particularly in Nap the Napa Valley? So this is the AVA that put Napa and California, I think, on the world stage. Right, Paris tasting of '76. Uh, the rest is history. So suddenly everybody's like, wait, there's something special in that little corner. So it's it's kind of the trifecta, geology, geography, and climate. Mm -hmm. And we've got the amazing Palisades. Have you have, have you been out there? I don't think I've been to Stagsley. You need to come visit. I'm, I'm, well, we're going to do a whole little event. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, this massive, like, rocky Palisades kind of trap heat during the day. Yeah. The Vaca Mountains to the east. And then you've got this low-lying set of hills to the to the west, they kind of funnel cool air, so it's kind of this natural air conditioning. So you get 
really beautiful ripe tannins, but also really good acidity. And then you've got great mm. old volcanic soils that are very well drained. That's kind of the magic of the area. And I think if I were to say what distinguishes Stag's Leap District Cab from Cabernet and any other AVA, it's probably the texture of the tannins. It's textural. You know, you grow good fruit everywhere in Napa Valley. Yeah. It's a great wine-growing yep. region. Yep. But the texture is unique about it. And I always tell this story about my, my buddy Elias Fernandez at Schaefer. He said when he started at Schaefer, um, he wanted to make Howl Mountain Cab, you know. And he was like, I couldn't do it. Right. It didn't matter. didn't matter. I could do cartwheels on that fruit, and I couldn't make it because it's Stag's Leap. It's just more graceful, you know. so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I, I always remember that story because I think it's, it really tells the tale. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great story because, you know, I, it's very interesting. I, I, I've... I have a lot of winemakers and know a lot of wine, and ultimately, in some way, they're influenced somewhere. Typically, it's more by the old world. Like you know, you can't do it because it's not. But like, there isn't it. Like, yeah, I want this wine to, you know, this was my favorite French wine. I wanted to do X, Y, Z. You know, and you do your best. But first of all, I love that he wanted. He's like, nah, I want to make a Howl Mountain Cab. He didn't want to make. He didn't want to make a Left Bank Bordeaux. He didn't, he wanted to make a Howl Mountain Cab. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not on Howl Mountain, though. That's right. what's so funny exactly. about it. Exactly. <laughs> like the, the reverence he had for that, uh, you know. And then he learned, and we all eventually do, that at the end of the day, this piece of dirt will produce this. Right. And you can try to engineer it into right. something else, right. but the most beautiful wine it will make is the purest wine that you can make out of it. So. And so on. So you were at Chimney Rock as a harvest intern, and uh, they said you had no harvest on your belt. So. What was your harvest like? Because like, people think it's, I want to go work at Harvest. They think it's sexy. <laughs> oh, yeah. They think it's glamorous. Yeah. 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 It's very sticky. Lots of bees. Um, tired. It's physical. Yeah, it's physical. Sho shoveling skins, yeah. you know, uh, long days. Uh, but you know what? It is the best time at a winery, hands down. It's the time it comes alive and, you know, there's an elation about it's go time, right? Yeah. Th these are the decisions and the moments that are going to matter um, for this wine forever. So getting into that mindset with your team, like, okay, let's go. Yeah. It's, it's the best. Yeah, I would, I, I would love I like that. Just like we got to make a decision. I like quick decisions, right? Like in, in action. And it just seemed like, like, okay, once you start, once you start harvest, it's on for like, you know, 30 to 45 days. It's just on. That's it. You know, and, That's that, it. and like you said, like, and you're, we'll get to your TV stuff, but you know, in TV, like you're in a trailer, it's like, it's like hurry up and wait. That's what wine right. is. Like, you're just like, you're doing stuff throughout the year, but it's like, you know, it's like, like you're in New York now. Like now you just, it's like kind of like, oh, I'm in the market, you bullshit. But then like, you, ain't nobody, you're not leaving come, come August. Right? Yeah. Like, no. Because, because yeah. you never know, like, We'll get to Alaska, but you never know what's going to happen, right? When you're going to get a heat spike, when you hit a spike, yeah, a like, rain, yeah, right, or what right. you need to do in the vineyards in response, <clears throat> mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you got to be there. That's insane. So, uh, after the harvest internship, um, you finished school. What was your first job out of Davis? So my first job out of Davis was Napa Wine Company. Okay. And Napa Wine Company, owned by the lovely Andy Hoxie of the Hoxie family. They own about 600 acres of vineyards in um, Yontville. And it's, it was the original 
was it the original Angona property? I think it was. It's Bonded Winery Number Nine. Mm. Anyway, Andy was one of the first guys to do a custom crush facility okay. for the little guys, right? Who couldn't maybe have the overhead of a winery. Mm-hmm. So, at the time that I was there. Um, Staglin hadn't built their winery, so they were making their wines mm. there. Nickel and Nickel was there. Mm. Paul Meyer was making mm. their wines there. Heidi Barrett was making all of her wines there. Celia Welch was making wine there. So um, a lot of multiple winemakers within a facility managing small projects, um, which ends up becoming a big winery with, it's like an airport, really, of winemaking. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. But a great I, I call this my second university of winemaking because, you know, Davis teaches you the academic stuff, but you're really not hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was running the lab to start, okay. so got to meet all these amazing winemakers. They would they took me in and taught me how to taste and, you know, taste wine as it's being made versus, you know, finished wines. And, you know, they'd taste trials that they were doing. So great mentoring that I got there from some amazing ladies and gentlemen. Um, just the coolest job. I was there for two years, as started as lab director and then became assistant winemaker. <clears throat> I have Napa Wine Company slash badass female winemakers. Yeah, um, totally. Talk about sure, some people don't know who Heidi Barrett is, man. Yeah, God, she is. Um, <laughs> I mean. She's a fellow Virgo, so I connected with her right away. She's like this gracious, um, very calm. And they come in all shapes and forms, these amazing women. Some of them are like a force of nature, like Pam Starr and Erin Green. They would roll through their high energy. Heidi was always very, you know, just graceful and and chill and zen. Um, But you pick up a little bit from each of them. But Heidi is... One of the first, you know, great consulting winemakers, mm-hmm. and she, she chose that path because she wanted to raise her daughters and she wanted to have some control over her destiny in terms of time, mm-hmm. and became, you know, I think the first winemaker for Screaming Eagle. Screaming Eagle, Eagle. yep, yep, that's yep. it, that's it. And like, not only is she an amazing winemaker, she also knows how to fly a helicopter. I mean, you know, it just doesn't get any cooler than that, right? That is very cool. Oh my God. Um, yeah, uh, married to Bo Barrett, right? Yes, married to Bo Barrett. And his father owned Montalena. That's right. Which won That's right. the Judgment of Paris. That's right, the white, white side, side of the competition. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, great wine movie, it's uh, Bottle Shock. It's, 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 it's fictionalized, but it gives you a kind of story. It's so good. It's a great, it? yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's yeah. a good one. Uh, I was telling people, um, I love, that. That's, that is a pure wine movie, but I love wine movies that, that there, that it's not about wine, but there's a lot of wine in it. What's your favorite wine movie? Oh, that's a good one. Um, that's tough. I mean, I love Up in the Clouds with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I think that's because that's yeah. like well, I love Keanu. Have uh, you seen the one with Russell Crowe? Yeah, and in the south of France. That called? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that one. That's a great one. Um, no, I can't think of the name. On the name yeah. Al, Al, if I Albert find, Finney. Right. Albert Finney is his uncle. Yeah, and it's like. Either the, it's the South of France, like Rhone or Languedoc or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's a great one. I love that one. And, and who is it? Vanessa, not Vanessa Parody, or is it? Uh, no, um, Audrey Tattoo. I think it's, no, a, it's, it's not, Audrey Tattoo. Anyway, yeah. some French actress yeah. who's made. Yeah. 
Oh uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, they're in. It was Provence, yeah, because she had a restaurant. Um, that's a good one, right? And then, uh, but I'll tell you the most interesting one. Um, I just saw. I was on a plane. My friend was coming back from Paso or going to Paso, and it's a Guy Ritchie film, and it's actually a spy film, but like, <clears throat> and Jason Statham, who's in the transporter, and like he's martial arts guy, and plays a special agent and he's like, you know, they're like, okay, we need to do this job. He's like, you know my requirements. So it's all like, where's the 82 Obrihan? Where's the, where's the, where's the, where's the, you know, where's, where's the 45 Mouton? Like, oh, you know, like, and I'm like, there was so much wine in that movie yeah. amongst all the martial arts and everything. That's what, I and gotta look this one up. You gotta up. look it up. And there's yeah. a scene where he's, he's, there's a younger agent and, and he's, and, uh, you know, with spies, you have an operator who runs operation, and you have your chief. And like and the younger age is kind of like more the muscle. And uh, he's like, "Don't do that." He's like, "What?" He's like, "He deserves it." And, and uh, he's like, "I don't really like wine." And he's like, "Well, you haven't had this." <laughs> and he tastes it. Go woo! And it was eighty-two pet. <laughs> right, so like, right. I mean, I was like, "Oh my god!" So obviously, Guy Ritchie. If you're listening, you should probably go on a podcast. I think you're probably a wine guy with all the wine references you had in that thing. It was pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your cool. favorite? I mean, obviously, I lived in Santa Barbara, so you know sideways was 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 near and dear to home yeah, yeah. but um what, what's your favorite wine i book? mean sideways brought so much attention to it did wine, really it did really right? people bitch about the merlot and the pinot noir thing and there's points that but it made people because of not miles character, his friend's character like i don't know it's like i think it made more regular people like oh i could drink wine this yeah. is cool like let me go to wine country you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I also was a big Francophile, so I just loved French movies mm. because wine was always always, just, it's always a part of it, yep. right? It's always in there. Um, I just, you know, we all become obsessed with seeing what wine. What I know, totally. Drinking? Yeah. What is that label? Wait, wait, wait. Right, right. Stop it. Rewind. I do that too. <laughs> I do that too. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, um, that's so funny. Um, so you have this opportunity. Did you always want to knew you want to be a winemaker because you were, said you work on lab side of this? Stuff. Yeah, no, I definitely wanted to make wine. Okay. I wanted to get out of the lab. The lab I knew would be my path in just because that was my background. But yeah, no, I, I definitely wanted to make wine. I wanted to I wanted to learn to grow it too. Being part of the vineyard side really was important to me. Like that was a place that really like walking vineyards. There's there's nothing more magical than walking vineyards when the grapes are on the vine and you're trying to decide like. It is like the most zen place. Yep. Um, and you just look it around, and uh, red tail hawk above. You know, just you and your vines. It's yeah. like the best. Yeah. So Chimney Rock, uh, you go back this time. You get hired as assistant winemaker. Yeah. So funny story. Um, the assistant winemaker who had been my friend, Lila Bacchus, decided she was bored with wine, and she went to med school. And now delivers babies in Chicago. Amazing. And so I was invited back. So we kind of closed the loop. There. She took my medical exactly, role, right, and right. I took her wine role. And See, everything it all uh, balances balance out. out. Balance out. Universe balances itself. Universe is always seeking homeostasis. That's it. <laughs> totally. Like we lost a doctor, we gained a doctor, and she's delivering babies, so she's doing pediatric stuff too. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. actually pretty insane. I know. I think about. It. I know. Yeah. Karmic. Yeah. Um, so. Who was the winemaker? Who was the head winemaker when you started? Doug Fletcher. Okay. And he had been the head winemaker when I was an intern as well. And okay. we, we got along famously well. He's uh, you know, he's kind of a bon vivant, loves great food. His his um wife is a 
cheese expert, master gardener, mm. amazing chef, and he's he's a great chef on his own. Um, and uh, he he was an opera lover specifically, so we sort of connected on on that because I enjoy opera as well. And um, you know, spent three years as his assistant, mm -hmm. learning everything. And Doug threw me in. He's like, "Go, go, decide when are you gonna pick that." You know, I mean, he did not like sit in the back seat. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, he took the back seat right. and said, "You got to learn this." But it, this yeah, you do exactly. It. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, yeah. He didn't drive. Yeah. No, he exactly. just sat back. He's like, he's, he went along for the ride. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing mentor and teacher, and also a guy who really knew his vineyards. You know, really knew viticulture. In fact, he did the whole replant at Chimney Rock in the early '90s. So he is a meticulous guy and really put a lot of thought into how to plant that estate. You know, soil pits everywhere to figure out exactly what rootstock, what clone, what spacing, what trellis. Um, great long-term thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Tomahawk. That's a big boy. It is a big boy. That needs a tomahawk steak. Yeah, it does. <coughs> And, and it's a camp, but it's it's amazing. It's just it, I get the freshness of the fruit, but there is like I'm getting just it has all the notes. You're getting a little bit of pepper, well, savory, yeah. yeah. Um, tell everybody about the the the, the red you brought, the tomahawk. Yeah. yeah. So I brought a tomahawk single vineyard uh, cabernet from 2018, uh, and. Over the course of my 20 years, that's been one of the things that we've discovered is that we've got all these microclimates at Chimney Rock. So we do about seven single vineyard cabs. Wow. And Tomahawk is one of the, I would say, one of the stars. Um, this vineyard's 22 years old. comes from the south end of the estate, which is a little cooler. So that's why you're getting more of that savory. Mm -hmm. The tannins tend to be a little bit more um, chewy and rustic, which is what I love about this wine. It's just a... You know, I've arrived kind of Cabernet. It's what you, um, and if you taste any of our single vineyards from the north, they tend to be a little bit more polished mm -hmm. and more kind of pure fruit driven. So um, I love this wine. And this is the only single vineyard that we actually distribute um, to restaurants also. So, oh, so the rest is just at the uh, winery? Uh, also at the oh, winery. You can oh, get it oh, at the winery. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And club, yeah. Amazing. Um, hmm. I want some beef. Yeah, no, that is out. definitely food wine, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. listed, but like you can yeah. just tell, like with food, it's just gonna. Yeah. They're just gonna dance together. Um. So you, you were assistant, assistant winemaker. Three years later, he, he, Doug moves on. Yeah. So he becomes VP for all of the Trelato family properties. Okay. So they own a few wineries. They own Rutherford Hill and Rutherford Sanford down on the Central Coast. Uh, they developed a property, a great vineyard up in Washington called Clipson. So he's actually Final making Clipson. that wine for them. Okay. Uh, beautiful vineyard, beautiful wines. Um, and they actually now have a winery in Friuli as well. Wow. So they're making some Pinot Grigio out of there. Um, so Doug heads all of this now. And uh, I was lucky enough he trusted me at Chimney Rock to really say go. And, I, you know, uh, it was an amazing opportunity 
very quickly. Yeah. Uh, having just entered really the wine industry, yeah. right? Because I mean, it's um, it's a story to state. I mean, yeah. since Dag's leave. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And um, and he was always there to support me. You know, I mean, I think at the beginning, you definitely get you know. You get the jitters, like, sh- am I making the right decision? Yeah. Doug, Doug, can you come taste this with me? What do you think? And, you know, I've always been really collaborative, too. I would bring other friends, like, come taste this vineyard with me. What do you think, you know? Yeah. Should I go another couple of days? And um, and your learning curve starts of making wines from the same vineyards. Um, and that's that's a cool journey, to see the same vineyards through cool seasons, challenging seasons, you know, lazy winemaker seasons which are like mother nature just hands it to you on a platter yep um is just the best learning right supersonic um and then six years later you become gm yeah yeah very reluctantly gm really (laughs) (laughs) the reluctant gm yeah the reluctant gm yeah you know that's definitely not my favorite part of the job yeah um it's kind of managing the facility and being more involved on the rest the direct-to-consumer stuff and just a bigger role, but it's okay. Um, the, the the family was really good to me. I said, here's the thing. I want to remain a hands-on winemaker. Yeah. So the minute I feel that I can't do that, I just want to have an out clause. Yeah. And they're like, that's cool, you know, uh-huh. but never needed the out clause. That's good. And the Terlato family, now, were they in the wine and spirits business or were they? Yeah, they okay. have an amazing story, actually. So Tony Terlato... It's multi-generation. They started as distributors. They were retailers. Uh, Illinois, they're based in Illinois. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, Became importers as well. So imported some great brands, mm-hmm. right? From like Bollinger to Chapoutier to Gaia, today Lanson, um, several brands from New Zealand as well, like Wara River, lots of Italians, Il Pogione. Uh, I mean, the yeah. list goes on. Yeah. It's a Insane. kind of a who's yeah. who, yeah. And um, and then in the late 90s, Tony Trelato, kind of the patriarch of the family, really decided he wanted to own wineries. And, you know, they knew enough about quality uh, that they wanted to invest in that side of the business. So they did. And Chimney Rock was their second investment. Nice. Very nice. Um, now, there's so much <coughs> that you have accomplished. Uh you were invited back to Davis. I mean, because, like, just there's a who's who of who's graduated from Davis. And I don't want to say, but, but they invited you to be a commencement speaker. What was it about your story, your journey, that, that they invited you to come be a commencement speaker? I have no idea. I'm <laughs> saying, like, I was like, what? And I, I will tell you, when I, uh, when I graduated from Davis, I was not very comfortable public speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, it took me a while to get there. And this was like the ultimate challenge, right? It's like, oh, go speak in front of 5,000 people. And and this was, what year was this? This was uh, 2009. That's what I'm saying. Like you, were, like, yeah. you weren't that far. I had been a winemaker for four years. Yeah, it weren't yeah. that far. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, it, it was an experience of a lifetime. I felt very humble about it. I really felt like I had nothing to tell these graduates. But then I thought about it, and I was like, I have something to say. And my message to them ended up being about staying connected to your peers because that is, you know, being connected to fellow winemakers, whether it be in your community or in the world, there is no better way to learn, you know. And Napa, like I think one of the untold secrets about Napa is 
the spirit of collaboration among winemakers there is the coolest. There is no community like that. Um, and so that was my advice to those young graduates. Don't lose each other's phone numbers. Stay connected. Um, you're going to be at each other's weddings. You're going to see each other's kids be born. And you're going to make wine together for decades to come. So stay connected. Anyway, it was fun. Um, I did do a shot of tequila before it. Yeah, you I, know. Yeah. Why not? I, I little, to. little, just yeah, yeah. St- <laughs> steady the nerves. Um, do you ever get, do you ever have people who heard your commencement speech? Because I'm sure they're working there. So you ever come to you like, I really enjoyed your commencement speech? Or like, I, I've had people who yeah. came up to me and said, I heard your commencement speech, which is a weird thing. Like yeah. you're like in uh, St. Elena Grocery or something when he comes with you, whatever. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> you mentioned you, you mentioned, but like I was something you said. So you're a female winemaker, um, you're a Latina winemaker, and like you mentioned, you're Elias Fernandez. So talk about, or uh, what do you think is like? Mm, is there anything missing? I'm missing the conversation, but like how integral are <laughs> this is very how integral are uh, Latinas and Latinas to the wine industry in California? Well. They're everything, right? Because we wouldn't have fruit off the vine yeah. if it wasn't for that agricultural community supporting us. So they're essential. Yeah. Um, I think we're starting to see more and more of the evolution, right? The next generation getting into Davis, mm-hmm. and my assistant winemaker is Mexican. Her dad came here um, and started picking. Um, grapes and then um, literally broke his back and ended up uh, working in a cellar and now she got her through college and she's an assistant winemaker and actually head winemaker for the Trilado Paso project as well so Elias is a, another great story I mean there's there's a few Teresa Heredia Lopez oh yeah yeah, um, yeah. she's at Gary Farrell yeah right. that's right yeah. that's right mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know your winemakers you yeah know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know we're seeing definitely more diversity yeah. um, and I think there's an internal push from the industry itself to be better at that I think you know, I, I told you, like, I think wine should be democratized, and that has to be not just at the consumer level, but at the winemaking level yeah. and at the wine critic level. Yeah. You know, we need, yeah, more, no. we need more voices. Uh, someone said, ah, you need to do that. I need to do that. I was in past those guys, like, you need to write a newsletter. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think in a part of that, yeah, I agree with you, and part of that is I think – it's how it is present, how the the next generation sees it, right? You could see it like, oh, my mom or dad broke their back, or like great great examples. Um, Stoltman, yeah, down Santa Barbara, yeah, like just giving stakes ownership, right? You know what I mean? That's the way. And yeah. so, so Ruben's kids, it there's, that's not just some guy, right? Picking grapes or whatever. Right. He, they're like co-owners. They're, they're co-owners, yeah. And then also, you know, and Pete said it's like and sharing the wine with them like the, the people make the, are integral to making the wine and, they, right. and and love drinking the tequila but he's like guys you made you know and, yeah. and that's what I think sparks interest you know what I mean yep. and inspires people yep. so it's really cool education right? yeah. development yep. like totally yeah. and so um, so you've done like I mean like let's talk about uh, there was a documentary about your work on PBS yeah I mean, it, yeah, we've done a couple. Is I've 
we've been in a couple of I've been in a couple of documentaries. One was um, Vintage 2012, mm -hmm. which was um, PBS, and um, that was really fun. They uh, covered three um, winemakers in the Valley. Uh, it was Kim Nichols at Markham, Marisa Taylor at the time at Rutherford Hill, and myself at Chimney Rock, and it was just tracking the 2012 vintage, kind of showing a behind the scenes, this is what happens. Which was a killer vintage. Yeah, it was a killer vintage, yeah. great vintage, yeah. It was Mother Nature's gift after the challenge of 11, right? Yeah. Like, here you go. Um, so that was really fun, that was a small crew. And then I had a buddy, my buddy Tim Milos. I don't know if you've met him. Mm -hmm. you should, oh, you have to meet him, okay. he's cool. Well, hook it up. He is a philosopher, <laughs> you would love him. Um, anyway, his brother's a filmmaker and did um, a documentary about vintage 2013, okay. which is another good one. Mm -hmm. And um, that came out last year. It's called The Perfect Vintage. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Find that. And Tim made 100 Point Wine from that vintage. So it's kind of, it's a little bit themed around that. It, I mean, it really isn't. So there's a few winemakers that they cover. I'm one of them. I have a small, um, but... Uh, who, who's, who's in that? Angelina Mondavi is in it. Um, Sam Kaplan's in it. Um, Tim. Tim is the protagonist, and he's amazing. Um, yeah. Have you seen it? No. It's I'm, a, you I'm, can see it on, I think it's on Amazon. Yeah, I'm it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, what's it called again? A Perfect Vintage. A perfect, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I've heard about it. I haven't watched it. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I think it's amazing. Um, I think we need more, something I want to do, more quality wine content yeah of the stories yeah not just the i mean i think facts tell stories sell so i think i learned more i think most people can learn more through a story because then you it hits on an emotional level yep agree I just I agree um but you've you've been in napa valley for since oh two so 21 years yep you've seen a lot Actually, before, yeah, because I, mean, I worked in '98, '99, yeah, right. yeah. so I think of it as a little longer than yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah well, like 25, tw 25 years, years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, quarter of a century. Uh, now, fires 2017 uh, came to close to your property, yeah, right at the edge. The whole ridge on the Stag's Leap was on fire, so that was a brutal event. We were actually picking that night, we were about to finish harvest. And I got a call from Flavio, who's our kind of ranch manager at Chimney Rock. And he was like, there's a fire. They're sending us home. And I was like, yeah, go home. Get out of there. Don't worry about the graves. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and he still, he, even though I said that, he went to the back to see if he could save the tractor. Um, you know, Those stories are amazing yeah. to me. People yeah. like, I think I had Tony Biagio on, and he was talking about the fires. And he was like, I had, and they actually, way we, he's like, he said, I had to go. Yeah. He's like, I, I mean, he's, he was like, he had to see it burn down. He's like, he's like, yeah. I, he's like, I couldn't believe it was happening. Yeah. I literally had to see it. Yeah. But the, what talk, why is, how, how is everybody so resilient in Napa Valley? Like, given everything you guys go through on year in and year out. You can't give up, right? It's decades uh, of families investing and growing this amazing region and, you know, at the end of the day, I think as as a human race, we can't give up, right? Mm. We can't give up in the wine world. We can't give up on the planet. Like, yeah. We got to keep going. We got to figure this thing gotta out. Got to fight AI. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> That's a whole nother I know, conversation. Right? It's exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's never, these things are going forever. Yeah. Um, I love that. 
that we have to keep going, right? Um, so you, again, you do exciting stuff. You were just like on some Gordon Ramsay show or some shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I'm was like, that like? MJ, I'm just like Forrest Gump, <laughs> and like I'm at a place at a time, and this stuff happens, and I'm like. I don't know what I There don't was know a TV happened. show and the man was hollering at people. Yeah. And I they said, came uh, scouting <laughs> just for location. Yep. And I ended up chatting with the producers about blending and it kind of gave them an idea for a theme. And suddenly I was going to be a judge on the show. And I was like, no. <laughs> so it was, it was actually a wine show? Um, it's called Food Stars. Okay, Food Stars. Okay. It's his new show, uh, his new reality show on Fox. And it's. It's around um, a bunch of young entrepreneurs trying to get a quarter million dollars for their businesses. So they go through a number of tasks where they have to create something, market, and sell a product. So the, the episode that was filmed at Chimney Rock, they were supposed to come up with some kind of consumer wine box, okay. which apparently represents a billion-dollar business in the U.S. Um, and I taught the contestants how to blend. Okay. And so one of the contestant groups had to do a white wine, the other ones did a red wine, and then they had to put a cohesive package that was like food, wine, whatever. So um, yeah, cool experience, you know, always. Like um, they came in 400 people at the winery to set up the set in and out four days. Wow. Um, Amazing, amazing to see that at work. real behind the scenes. I'd done documentaries. Right, you said like you said small crew. Yeah, exactly. Guy, right, right. Right. One camera guy, some drone stuff. That's it. This was like a production. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And you had served as president of the Stags Leap. What is it? Wine Growers or the Stags Leap District Wine right, Growers right, Association. Association. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and why was that important to you to do that? Just because I work in one of the coolest hoods in Napa Valley, you know, Stag's Leap District is three miles long, one mile wide. There's 18 producers there. Like Manhattan. <laughs> We're very connected, yeah. you know, and it's it's just a cool tribe. And I think, I think there's still a lot to be taught to the American consumer about AVAs yeah, and like I the agree. differences. Yeah. Um, I think everybody knows Napa Valley, but there's more to that, right? right. There's so many more layers to Napa than... Napa, uh, and so part of that nonprofit's um, objective is to educate um, and to take that message out there. So we do some pretty cool stuff. Um, in fact, in 2020, so the Stags Leap Growers Association has this um, license to actually sell a collection of wine, and up until 2020, um, it would be one of the top bottles from every producer. It gets sold between October 15th, December 15th. It's a $2,000 collection, really cool wine gift. So comes 2020, and half of the producers don't make wine, mm-hmm. including us. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a really creative solution. So um, we um, had everybody donate wine in keg form. So anywhere from like five gallons to 30 gallons of 21 juice. And we had a winemakers committee, which I was part of, with Robert Smith from Quixote. You should have him on, too. Cool. I'd love him. Um, and uh, Michael Baldacci, Josh Whitman at Pine Ridge, mm-hmm. and um, Robbie Meyer from Malk. And we blended a wine that represents all of the properties into one bottle, which we're going to release in October this year. So that, that, that was a sick. cool project, yeah. too. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then you also, um, you're, you're all about mentorship. So we, we talked about 
all those amazing female wine workers you guys work with and, and you're part of grooming the next generation? Yeah, so I've always mentored, you know, men and women mm -hmm. of all backgrounds, mm -hmm. but I really am getting to the point where you start to think, what's the next step? What, what more can I give? How do I pay it forward? So last year I joined uh, the Batonage group mm -hmm. and uh, I had seven mentees. Um, it's a pretty simple mentorship thing. You basically commit like an hour to each person to just talk about where they are in their career, mm -hmm. what are their objectives. Um, and I've, you know, I'm going to stay connected to my mentees. There's no way I'm going to do an hour and yeah. then say sayonara. <laughs> I, you know, th it's amazing to me. Did my job. I gave yeah. back. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, they were so inspiring to me. And I think ideal mentorship, not only are you giving to the mentee, but they actually That's actually true back. mentorship. Right. Right. So that's I because I, I used to work with an education and I was like, the, I'm glad that worked out because a lot of mentorship programs like if if you're not because true mentorship, it's just you meet someone and you happen to be higher and but you see something in them and it actually it's tough to do that. Forcement, but I'm glad to hear that you're doing it because a lot of times I, I work in inner city like, oh, they help people come in. But it's not really mentorship. It's like, yeah. like I have a kid who like he's like call me his mentor, but we had a relationship and I didn't I would never. It's really more natural. But it sounds like you have had some good experiences and good fortune. But that's just your life. Right. I'm just here. You're like, there. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was all that suffering during high school. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, think it, it's yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, you don't want to see people suffer. Yeah. If you can take it. if you can that's accelerate it. someone's path. Yeah, makes sense. Exactly. All right. So. Um, we got uh, a couple things we're going to wrap up. Um, I could talk to you for another hour, and I will, because <laughs> at some point <laughs> we're friends. We're friends now. Yeah, totally. We're like completely friends. And like, I knew, I knew yeah. this would be the case. <laughs> I was like, we are kindred spirits, yeah. and I have to go see him yeah. in person. I did not want to do the the virtual. Yeah, I don't want to do. I like. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm torn with that because uh, I turned down a lot of interviews. But this is the real, like, this is how I connect with people. I think it's yeah. it. so. Um, so if you've been listening, I started this year just because I'm, I'm a cheeky bastard. Uh, FMK, fuck, marry, kill. I give you three grapes. You fuck one, you marry one. Another one, you, it's done. You murdered, killed, can't see one. <laughs> and I thought it would be fun for you because, um, you know, you're known for your red wine. So it's like, okay, let's see where she's at on the white wine spectrum. So. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, or Riesling. Which one are you fucking? Which one are you marrying? And which one are you killing off? Oh. Yeah, and it's not. It's, it's, it's that's why I know it, I did it right because it's not supposed to be like if you, if you can do it like oh, but, but I do I, when I hear like oh, I love that. I love them all. Um, I guess I'm gonna say F Riesling. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. F Riesling. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's a good one. Mary Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Wow, and yeah. I'm gonna kill Chardonnay. Yeah. I love Chardonnay, yeah. by the way. Yeah, like I love. No, I get it. But yeah. but, but you're forcing me to. Pick. I'm forcing you, and yeah. thing like Riesling, you know, Riesling runs the gamut, so it's a good one to f, right? Yeah. Like, like, like yeah. you, I mean, be moved for this type of Riesling. Oh, yeah, wait, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I get it. I get yeah. it. And um, one last question: um, What are you most excited about for the future? Um. I think trying to be a force for the greater good. Mm. I think, you know, making great wine, of course, doing my thing, walking my vineyards, but also changing the environment around me in any way that I can. I think it's, you know, you get 
get to be a woman of a certain age and you know it becomes about being more impactful mm -hmm. and like what what can I leave for the planet for the universe for my community um, that's it so I think being a force for the greater good yeah live a life of significance that's it love that's it. it love yeah. it yeah. Elizabeth so fun oh my god thank you so much for coming in tell people where they can find you how they can be a part of what you're doing at Chimney Rock and in general yeah, yeah website chimneyrock.com come visit us we're open seven days a week um, and you can find us all over just come visit okay and for all my listeners don't forget to check out the show notes I will put links to the website I'll put Elizabeth's socials and Rock socials and uh, I'll throw Batonage in there uh, their oh, website awesome. okay awesome. for the mentorship um, uh, I'll also list the wines we, we got to try in this episode and until the next time cheers to the Mavericks the philosophers the deep thinkers and all you wine drinkers it's your boy MJ saying peace thank you so much for listening I hope you learned something you had some fun while you were here Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>